Hi, I'm Dr. Robin Koslowitz, clinical psychologist, parenting educator, and post-traumatic parent. Welcome to the Post-Traumatic Parenting Podcast, where we learn to provide our children with a healthy childhood, even if ours was anything but. Or maybe we had a wonderful childhood, but recent events in our lives have left us reeling. Let's face it, after 2020, we're all post-traumatic parents now. Welcome. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Post-Traumatic Parenting Podcast with Dr. Robin Kozlowitz. Today, we have Christian Jensen of the Defend Young Minds organization, which, and we're going to talk about a topic, trigger warning here, which is so important and crucial, but is something that's a little uncomfortable for us as post-traumatic parents. And that is, how do we talk to our kids about their online exposure to porn, their online exposure to sexual exploitation, and all the unsavory stuff that's out there that we kind of don't want to think about, but our kids are probably exposed to. So welcome. I'm so excited. I've been a follower of your podcast for a long time, and I just love what you're doing and your work and your books. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you. And this can be a tough conversation, but I have faith in your listeners that they can rise to the rise to the occasion and do what's best for their kids. I think what we sometimes shirk away from doing for ourselves, we will do for our kids. So if something Absolutely. is scary to us, right, we'll do it because because it's to protect our kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mama bears, right? <laughs> That's right. So tell me a little bit about what got you interested in this work. Like what opened your eyes to it? Well, I had known some therapists who had been trying to help people with porn addictions. And I never knew you could get addicted to porn. And I started learning about it, but I didn't want to have anything to do with it because I felt the same way as you described earlier. It's, you know, it's an unsavory thing. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, but I met a woman about 10 years ago whose oldest son had gotten into porn at a young age. He'd been sexualized at a young age. And he, as a teenager, was acting out on his brothers and sisters. And it was a large family. And this mother was trying her best to protect these kids. But despite all of her efforts, you know, she homeschooled them. And, and but the internet, you know, sneaks in obviously it's it's in your home and so there was a lot of fallout from that experience but I got off the phone after talking to her for hours woke up the next morning and just had this persistent thought that young kids need to be warned about pornography about the harms of pornography so I thought oh I'll just go to Amazon and find the book right I'm sure it's there because I don't know about you, Robin, but I have never had an original idea in my entire life. So I thought, I'll just go to Amazon, buy the book for it. I couldn't find anything. And so I started to do some research and added to the knowledge I already had and thought, you know, you could boil this down for a seven-year-old. And that's what I did with good pictures, bad pictures. And later with just to interject, I have to say good pictures, bad pictures. It's handled so well 
the way it's like for a seven-year-old, you're not shocking them or writing anything salacious, but then at the same time, it really explains with the child development like lens of a seven-year-old, so to speak, or an eight-year-old, how to understand what good pictures and bad pictures are. It's so clear. Yeah. Well, I worked on this for three years and I tested it and retested it and retested it and did a lot of revisions. So it works. It works to explain. It does three things. It introduces the definition of bad pictures. And I like to use the word pornography because I feel like it empowers us over that word and it kind of robs it of all the fear and anxiety. So I like to use that word. So it gives kids a definition of pornography, a warning and a plan for what to do when they see it. So those three things, every kid needs a definition of pornography, why it's harmful and what it can do to their brain and then what to do when they see it, a plan. I love what you're saying, especially about telling people the proper names for things. I have this big belief in doing that. In my practice, if a child has a diagnosis, we are going to tell them their diagnosis. We'll tell them the pros and the cons, like there's also superpowers, but we're always going to tell you because in Harry Potter, J.K. Rowling has this great quote, fear of the name increases fear of the thing itself. And it's so true. Dumbledore says that and it's so true, right? We don't want to be afraid of the name. We know what pornography is. And if we can tell that to a child, interestingly enough, when you were talking, I actually was working with a family once where a child was sexually acting out and the mom was so convinced that her children were entirely protected because they went to a school with a very strict social media policy. She restricted the internet in their home. She was very on top of her kids in terms of everything where they were. And she found out that all it took was back of the school building, an older boy showing her son pictures on a digital camera because the school had a no smartphones plan, but he had pictures on a digital camera of a porn site that he was showing. And she thought her son was entirely sheltered from these things. So she wouldn't ever have to warn him about these things. And as soon as she, she realized that she said, oh, I thought I was doing like the best job. Well, we can't be there with them forever. Now, if people knew how many five-year-olds are exposed to pornography through smartphones and other devices on school buses alone, you'd know that every school bus in America is a triple X theater. And so you can't always, I mean, it's good to have filters and I do believe in them. At the same time, that's just like one prong, right? Of a multi-prong strategy. And the other one definitely has to be an internal filter. So I've talked about an internal filter for years. That's the filter that goes with them wherever they are, no matter where they are. And it's the filter that you can't just plug in, but you can develop. It's really a disposition, a disposition to reject pornography because they know why. And they have a desire to not only please you as a parent, but to stay healthy and free from all the harms of pornography. I think if you go in before, before the temptation, before the trigger, before the information that's flooding them, you have so much of a better chance of them coming to you with it or of them being armed against it and saying, oh, I know what these pictures are. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. 
I'd love to tell you one of my favorite stories is of a nine-year-old boy. His mom read him good pictures, bad pictures. So he, he knew it. And she'd opened that conversation with him, made it okay to talk about. Three days later, he went to school. One of his friends showed him pornography on a cell phone on the playground. And he went home, told his mom, and he said, I was scared, but I knew what to do. Yeah. Can you just feel that kind of fear kind of melt, that burden melting off of his shoulders? I was scared, but I knew what to do. And I don't know about you, but I don't do very well when I'm caught off guard. I like to be prepared. And have you ever gone to take a test and you absolutely knew you were not well prepared. Oh yeah. And then you have nightmares for the rest of your life about it. Exactly. I, I, I do. I have those nightmares. And and really that's a gift we're giving is the gift of preparedness. So when they are faced with these situations, they know what to do. They understand why and they they want. They've been persuaded. Yeah, it's interesting. One of the things I teach in my parenting class, we always say the antidote to scared is prepared. Because with anything, whether it's like a test, whether it's like going on a school bus for the first time, whether it's going off to like a sleepaway camp, it doesn't matter what it is. The more prepared you are, the less scared you are. Because even if you're feeling a little bit of that fear, you know what to do about it. So having that conversation and saying, if someone shows you these pictures, this is what you're going to do. That initial fear, that hump of that initial fear, the kid is over already because they're like, okay, I rehearsed this. I know what to do. Yeah, I have a plan. I can handle it. And kids love to feel trusted with important information. They feel good about that. And I've, I never expected kids to love good pictures, bad pictures. I always thought parents would appreciate it. But I've heard from so many kids that it's their favorite book. Wow. I did not see that coming. And I've actually pondered that quite a bit. Like, why? And I've just come to, They like to be empowered. They like to know what's coming. They like to know how to handle these situations. You know, it's interesting. I had good pictures, bad pictures, junior on my, um, on my therapy desk. Happened to have had it out because I was putting together like a list of resources for parents. And this 16 year old girl came into my office for therapy and she happened to notice it. Like it wasn't, wasn't what we were planning on talking about. And she looked at it and she said, you know, I feel so uncomfortable when I come home from school and my stepfather is watching and he isn't even watching porn. He was watching just, you know, any show with like a, with like a sexualized young woman in it. Like he's watching Netflix. It wasn't anything. He wasn't actually watching porn in her presence because that would have been a whole different conversation. She said, I just feel so uncomfortable whenever I see him watching girls who are basically my age dancing this way and looking this way, et cetera. So it opened up such a great conversation with her about her feeling that how she could talk to her mom and her stepdad about it and how she could process it for herself, that sense of discomfort, because I think she's right. Even, even on something that's for general audiences, that's not porn can make a girl feel uncomfortable with her developing body. When she sees other young women being sexualized, I could understand why she's uncomfortable. This man is not a biological father. It feels uncomfortable. Yeah. And porn, we want to define porn. Porn is this and porn is that. And I have a very simple definition of of pornography in the books that goes something like pornography means pictures, cartoons, videos of people with little or no clothing on that focus on the private parts of the body we keep covered with a swimsuit. So that's 
basically talking about sexualized nudity, right? And I don't believe that all nudity is porn, but porn is really uh, about how it affects you, right? What it's making that child feel. So if, if it's sexualized and it's causing any kind of arousal or sexual feelings or things like that, or like discomfort, like this girl felt, it's something we need to be able to talk about with our children. And it's a gift that we open that conversation with them. It really is. I'd love to hear more about developmental stage by developmental stage. What information do they need at the five-year-old stage, the seven-year-old stage, older stages? How do you build the conversation? Yeah. So I actually have a presentation about this and it's teaching kids to reject porn at every age. And of course, sometimes that's scary because we think, oh, we may know what porn is. We may know a little bit about what it is. We don't want to dump that into our child's brain, but really with the Good Pictures, Bad Pictures Junior book, the concepts are things like you want to give them the right info sets, the right mindsets, the right skill sets, and have the right tool sets to do that. And so with the information, the info set, you want to be able to define what a good picture is and what a bad picture is, and so that they can recognize it. You don't have to give them the whole big bad thing, but just enough that they can recognize it and know what they're seeing. And that these bad pictures can be seen in a variety of places, on a variety of screens, magazines, billboards, whatever, but that they should never keep pornography a secret, that they should always tell, right? Talk to their trusted adult about it. We also add in, in the junior book about it's not safe for anyone to take pictures of you without your clothes on or you to do that for someone else. So we want to nip this sexting or these taking nudes in sharing nudes, nip that in the bud. So those are the, the simple concepts and developing this mindset that pornography is harmful, that you can do something good when you see a bad picture and you have the power to defend yourself from these kinds of images and so that you can minimize the impact on that. And I won't continue on through all the skill sets, but the tool sets obviously are Good Pictures, Bad Pictures Junior is a great thing. And we also want to build emotional resilience in our children so that they don't go to porn later on to deal with their negative emotions. And I'm sure you teach parents all about that. We do have a guide about developing emotional resilience on our website, but it's, it's really key because so many kids do, and I like to say they hire porn. They hire porn to do a job for them. And sometimes that job is to help them deal with negative emotions. Yeah. So all those things you can develop between three and six in that age range. You can develop those, con start developing those concepts. Yeah, I call that outsourcing dopamine when kids want to outsource their dopamine, right? So how do I get dopamine? Do I get it from, do I get it from porn? Do I get it from Candy Crush? Do I get it from a substance, right? just outsourcing that you need to be able to like internally source those senses of satisfaction, that self-soothing, that ability to feel calm and connected, right? We don't want you looking for that from an outside source. First, you have to have it. Now, it's great to have pleasurable experiences. 
especially when they become teenagers, you might have a girlfriend or boyfriend. You eventually are going to have a committed adult relationship at some point, right? Of course, it's wonderful to enjoy something fun. It's great to go on a roller coaster. It's great, but that can't be your plan for like, I had a lousy day, so now I'm going to do this to calm myself down or to self-soothe, right? It's so dangerous for kids. And if we don't let them know that there are other ways of dealing with their negative emotions, if we don't model that ourselves, if our only self-care plan is Netflix and chill, you know, like that's all we do, yes. then yeah. how are they going to learn that there are other ways to make yourself feel better that don't come at a screen? Yeah. Well, and a lot of us, I'm sure your listeners are, are well aware, but there are a lot of us. I mean, I feel like I grew up self-soothing with food and now I just see that so clearly. Now that I've studied this porn addiction, I can see those patterns in my own brain. The minute I start feeling anxiety is the minute I'm going to go for, you know, if I have something sweet, I mean, if there's a cookie in the house, it's mine. <laughs> and so it's, you know, it's hard to break that. And I have another sister though, who, when she gets anxious, she loses her appetite. And guess which one of us has the weight, you know, has struggles. struggles well, I'll that. tell you, for me, I also had that food was my addiction. And food was my go-to self-soothing plan. And then when I, when I went on a health kick and I lost a lot of weight, I realized exercise was becoming my next addiction. And I had to take a step back and say, wait, food can sometimes be a nice emergency plan for self-soothing in, in like a, a real emergency situation. Exercise can be wonderful to center yourself, but it can't be yeah. that it can't be the only plan. You have to have a menu of options. And there has to be a way that yeah. I can say to myself, I'm anxious now and that's okay. A lot of be anxious. Nothing terrible will happen. Yeah. I did a a study kind of for my own knowledge. It was a qualitative study where we interviewed 10 people who had identified themselves as addicted to pornography or in some stage of recovery. And there were eight men and two women. And what was interesting is that One of them told me this story about how his parents, whenever he had an emotional outburst, they would send him to his room. Go to your room until you can calm down. Well, once he found the sexual material and basically what was pornography to him that he could masturbate to, whoa, there it went. That's how he learned to deal with his emotions. And it works. It works very well. And we found several of them, I mean, in the short term, right? Found several people that did use pornography to deal with. And when you think about a kid, all right, in the, in the United States, at least, you're not going to have many kids that can go and get hardcore drugs, alcohol, even cigarettes. We've got laws in place and the culture agrees. But for some reason, we have not been able to put age verification or be able to shelter them from the pornography on the internet. So what is the most addictive thing that a kid could actually get into is porn. Yeah. And if we cared enough as a society, I agree with you, the barriers would be there. Instagram can flag practically anything, right? Twitter can flag you for anything. Why can't they flag the face of a seven-year-old logging onto a smartphone? It, it, it's possible mm-hmm. to do. It's just we haven't done it because we don't care enough to do it. I yeah. think that's such a good point. 
What do you say to parents who are worried that if they open the conversation, let's say they haven't at a younger age, their kid's an emerging teen now, and they're worried, like, I don't want to open the conversation because I'll get my kid curious and then they'll go looking for it. If your kid is an emerging teen, what, what age are we talking? When you... Let's say we're talking 13, 14. Well, the game's over there. Your child has already seen porn. Nothing you say is going to change that. And I don't mean to be fatalistic because there's still a good reason to start talking about it because you still can shape their attitudes. You still can try to explain the differences and how porn is so misogynistic and how porn is racist. And that when you're clicking on porn, you're voting for all those things, really. Because even if it's free, it's not really free. They're getting advertisement money. So, and we all know that it's tied to sex trafficking. It fuels sex trafficking. So I think teenagers deserve to understand all of the consequences of pornography and that it can cause sexual dysfunction. Right. There's been a huge, like a thousand percent rise in sexual dysfunction among young men. One out of three of young men now report some sexual dysfunction. And there are many scientists that are looking into that, studying that, and they're finding that pornography is a big part of that. It's called pornography-induced erectile dysfunction. So you're not going to make a 13-year-old curious. The 13-year-old already knows about porn, has already seen it, if they haven't, they're like in the one percentile. They're I just, find this over no. and over again that parents will tell me about how sheltered their kids are or their community is or their school is. And so many times it's happened that that parent who talks about that then goes and questions their kid and their kid's like, oh, I once had the saddest story where a, a mom was really telling me how she doesn't need to talk about good and bad touch with her kids because they're part of a particular religious community and they're very strict and very sheltered and whatever. So I said, do me a favor. Why don't you just have that little parts of your body that are covered with a bathing suit conversation with your daughter? Just like, and she said, you mean the way uncle so-and-so touches me? And it was like, wow. Yeah. And that was me just sort of challenging this mom who was parenting class participant. Maybe have the conversation anyway. This is a really simple conversation. You're not opening any doors. Just that no one should be touching you in the parts of your body that that a bathing suit would cover. You know, like the book, some parts are not for sharing. Read that book with her. See, just open the door to that conversation. Do yourself a favor. And that was the response from the kid. The mom was traumatized herself. Yes. Yes. And there really is a correlation and a linkage between all forms of sexual exploitation. And when a child is warned about pornography, they are safer from sexual exploitation because pornography is so often used as a grooming tool. One mom contacted us and her six-year-old, she had read him good pictures and bad pictures. They went over to a friend's house for dinner. And at this point, they were doing some remodeling and all the kids' toys were down in the basement. So before dinner, they ran down to get a toy. And this little six-year-old ran down and he was looking at all the toys at the, at the base of the stairs. When the renter, a male with a cell phone, came up to him and showed him pornography on his phone and said, this would be really fun to do and started his little 
thing. Well, this this little boy recognized that it was porn that he was showing him and he knew right away he should get away. And he ran up and told his mother. And I'm pretty sure that dinner party was cut short, but he saved himself really from because he knew he had the knowledge. And another story, a teacher read good pictures, bad pictures to her fourth grade class. And then they would journal. She didn't want a lot of discussion. I could understand. And they would journal. And so she read in this girl's journal that her stepbrother was showing her pornography. Wow. Red flag. (laughs) So they were able to talk to the parents and rectify that situation. But children are curious. Children, if you don't teach them that this is harmful, and society seems to let them have access, even at libraries, then what are they to think? They're not thinking that, oh, but they know that you have never talked to them about it. So they're not going to talk to you. Most children will not go and tell their parent that they've seen this unless the parent has opened the conversation. So let's just do our kids a favor and open it. But do you want me to go back to the whole curiosity thing? Because I do have some thoughts about that. Yeah, I just want to make, I want to make one point about what you're saying about the book and the stories that you just told, which were so fantastic. One of the things I see in my own clinical practice, because I treat trauma and I've treated a lot of people who have experienced sexual trauma. So many of them have told me that the reason they did not disclose was because they lacked a vocabulary to explain what was happening, especially at the beginning stages of the grooming process when it was about like a hand lingering too long or someone standing uncomfortably close or showing them a picture that seemed a little off before they were shown porn, right? And they didn't have a vocabulary for what was going on. So they didn't know how to tell their parent because they just didn't have words. And when you read a book like that, you're giving them a vocabulary. Mom, I saw that kind of bad picture. This person showed it to me. The same bad picture that was in the book that we read, that kind of a bad picture. And then the the mom's like, oh, I know how to hear this. Because you know how it is. Kids are very, they really lack a sense of timing sometimes. So sometimes they'll start the super important conversation and you're like driving them to like tennis practice. You're like running to the supermarket. You're late for school. You're late for the dentist. And like suddenly start, um, mom, uh, kind of, I want to tell you. And, and you don't have the time and the headspace to hear it when they have vocabulary and they say something like, remember that good pictures, bad pictures book that you read me? You're going to be like, yes. <laughs> like, right. Your, your, your antenna goes up right away. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you one more story that just absolutely along those lines, a mother dropped her kids off for a play date. She went to pick them back up and she saw the girl that they, the friend that they were playing with in the front yard, showing her kids something on a phone. And she said, this was before I was worried about this kind of thing. And so they got in the car and she said, what was she showing you on her phone? And they looked at each other and they said, um, oh, it was just a My Little Pony video. They were young girls. Well, months later, when she read them good pictures, bad pictures, they're like, mom, that wasn't a My Little Pony video. She was showing us pornography. And, and so this mom says, they lied to me because they simply didn't have the vocabulary. So when we arm them with the vocabulary, now they can be safer. 
Now they have a little bit of a defense around themselves and they can speak up and get your help, right? In defending them and protecting them. Right. I just love this, that, that story. Cause I love that idea of when you have the vocabulary, you know how to get a grown-up's attention. You know what you should be talking about because when you're trying to articulate something nebulous and confusing and you don't quite know what to say, mom might not hear it. Dad might not hear it. And I'm saying this even to the post-traumatic parents who are part of our community who I know have experienced sexual trauma. Not all of us, but some of our post-traumatic parenting community members, that was their trauma. And I know this is a difficult topic, but just because it's difficult doesn't mean we can avoid it. Especially the parents who say, I was molested as a kid. I don't want this to happen to my kids, which I've had so many parents say, yet I'm so scared to talk to my kids about it because it's such a triggering topic. But I find the more, you know, like we said, when we're not scared, when we're not scared, when we're prepared, right? The more we familiarize ourselves, the more we learn exactly what to say, the less scary it is. And I get it. There are so many parents who tell me it's so triggering for me. This is what happened to me. And when I talk about it, I get choked up. When I talk about it, I start to freeze. Well, then practice. Process it in therapy, process it in your journaling until you're ready, but have that conversation with your kid because avoidance is not going to get us anywhere. Yeah. I encourage parents to talk to themselves in the shower. You know, if they have to practice saying things, you know, in a safe place, a comfortable place to do so because our kids are worth it. And no kid deserves to face the porn industry alone. And when they do, the outcome is not always very good for them, very healthy for them. So that's why I really believe in starting at a young age because we cannot control when they're going to be exposed to pornography. I wish we could. I wish there are days I wish I had a different job. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I could be a lifestyle, whatever person. I don't know, but I just, I just feel like if we realize that When we start at a young age, it's just another conversation. I had a neighbor who was a social worker and she dealt with kids that were sexually abused and all of this. But when she heard a friend, her daughter got into pornography, she was freaking out. Like, I don't even know how to talk to my boys about this. And they were seven or eight years old. And She really, she did not know how to do it. And so I've had many therapists actually say that, that the book helped them with their own children. And I love that. And, but if we can start young, the worry, I get that the worry is that there's this curiosity factor, right? Oh my gosh. And I think too, with that, it's the mom guilt factor because, oh my gosh, I'm going to be the one I'm going to bring up the topic then my kid's going to get into porn and it'll be all my fault. So you're really, there's no winning there because if you don't talk, you're in trouble. If you do talk, so you really have to release yourself from that guilt because you cannot control when your child gets exposed to pornography. You can reduce the risk for the devices at home with your own uh, filters and parental controls, and you can do all that, and you should, and you should let your children know that you are doing it and why you're doing it. However, again, this internal filter, and you have two choices. You can do the cross your fingers plan and hope that your kids don't see porn until they're 13 and you've talked to them already, 
or there's the proactive plan, which is really all about preparing your child for a situation you know they're going to have, you just don't know when, and creating that conversation, that disposition, that trust, so that they will come to you. I do agree about parent guilt. I want to say that like, (laughs) no matter what, we feel guilty. You know, it's such a powerful force. It can sometimes create the very outcome that we're trying to avoid, right? Like you feel guilty for telling them. And then, but then if you don't tell them, you're going to feel guilty when they came to you and experts said to tell them and you didn't tell them and you should have told them earlier. (laughs) You're never going to win. So I think being active and proactive, at least, you know, well, I did my best. I followed the recommendation of experts. I did the right thing. Even if somehow your kid is the one who tells a friend, you know, my mom told me about these bad pictures. And then you have to feel guilt because now the friend's mom is calling you all irate. We have to to protect our kids. Like that's what we have to do. You can't always worry about that, right? You don't want your kid to become the pornography 101 expert in the class, even in a good way, telling people all the positive information that you're trying to put out there. Like my mom says, there are these pictures. You don't want your kid to be that kid. But then at the same token, you want your kid armed with information. Yeah, absolutely. And these kids do, you know, you can, you can say, well, this is in our family and we don't need to share this with others. And you're welcome to have that conversation. But I've heard of kids where they are exposed, a kid coming home, walking home with a friend, stop at the mailbox, pull out the Playboy or the Hustler and start looking through it. And this kid that already had been warned about pornography goes, that's pornography. And the kid says, oh, well, what's pornography? What do you mean? He says, well, that's any you know, rattled off like a a definition and uh, some of the harms. And the thing is, is it didn't really, I'm not sure that it did much for his friend. I'm not saying that the friend suddenly shut it and said, oh, I'll never look at this again. I don't think that happened. Mm -hmm. But what happened for this young man, he was like seven. He said, maybe he was a little older, but he he was a young boy and he, he had set his boundaries. So that's also important to set your boundaries, to be able to say, you know what? That's pornography. I just don't look at that. Not also, interested. Being able to say, I am different than my friend. I can act in accordance with my values. Yeah. Just that life lesson is so important for a kid to learn. Like, wow, I had, I made the right choice. My friend didn't. And I don't have to make my friend's choice because for the rest of his okay. life, there are going to be life choices that his friends will engage in that he perhaps won't engage in. There's underage drinking and there's under, you know what I mean? Like the the possibilities are endless. That experience, that practice of he's making a poor choice. I don't have to make that choice. I think that for a parent, be able to say that to a kid and talk to a kid like, wow, that was amazing. You resisted peer pressure. This you're, you have a capacity for the rest of your life that you're going to be able to use. That is so important. Yeah. That's my next book. I gotta, I gotta write that one. You just gave me my next, actually, I'm working on a book for tweens, but that would be an excellent book to deal with the peer pressure and to to learn to be able to say, you know, I'm different and that's okay. Right. These are my values. These are my values and I, I get to do me and you get to do you. And yeah, so important. So I really, really, I would, I would say in your mind, put a big hashtag sooner is safer. Sooner is safer. And my daughter reads these books to her, the junior book, to her kids starting at two years old. So my grandkids 
Now, is that a guarantee that they will never be tempted and that they will? Of course not. What I want to do is prepare them, is arm them and teach them a, a disposition where they can reject pornography and they know why. They know all the, all the arguments. And so as they get a little older, 10, 11, 12, is when we can start teaching them. It's not just bad for your brain, but there are a lot of other reasons why pornography. It doesn't portray sex in a healthy way. It's a toxic form of sexual scripting. And we don't want you to learn that script. This isn't what a healthy, committed adult relationship is like. You know what you're making me think of? As soft porn becomes more and more mainstream, where you can buy 50 shades of gray and like a bargain bin at at Walmart if you want to buy a DVD. And no one's going to card you. I actually worked with a kid once who bought it at a very, very young age and was watching specifically that movie way too young to watch something like that. And I remember having the conversation with her because she really was traumatized that normal adult relationships don't necessarily involve whips, pains, and blood, right? Because she had this assumption that this is what her parents must do. This is how you conceive it. You whip somebody. And it really, it terrified her because she was like 11. She was way too young. She was just starting her period, just starting to understand the concept of her developing body. And to watch a movie like that completely set her brain and made associations for sexuality in this very painful, scary way that didn't have to happen. So I love what you're saying that sooner is safer because as soft porn becomes more and more and more mainstream, you are going to get more and more kids having those reactions because if it's something you can dial up on your Netflix queue, then they're going to see it. And they need to be armed with good arguments. Why shouldn't I watch this? Well. Here are the reasons and talk about dopamine. (laughs) Whoa, letting dopamine across those synapses in the brain. It really does a number. It's a super normal stimulus. And there's so many scientific studies that show that pornography impacts the brain and can become a true addiction and can physically change the brain and shrink parts of the brain, just like any addiction. So our kids deserve to know these things. And we write about them all the time on Defend Young Minds in our articles. And we teach kids, we have a curriculum called Brain Defense, Digital Safety, that teaches kids all of these concepts. But as they get older, again, being able to say, this is what healthy sex is like, And this is what porn sex and which is going to lead you to a happy, healthy relationship, sexual intimacy, to see that porn leads kids and teens into really unhealthy scripts about sex that are not that easy to just flush from your brain. Yeah, you can eradicate them so fast. Yeah. And, And there was a study a few years back in Britain and they were talking to 11 to a 17 year olds about pornography and their exposure and what they thought about it. And did they think it represented reality? And I I forget all the statistics, but an alarming amount of kids thought that what they saw in porn was what sex was, was about. And one girl, they, they collected statements and one 11 year old girl says, I don't like it. I can't, it makes me sick to think that my parents do it that way. 
And she was talking about the violence and the degrading acts that are in pornography. And so we don't want our kids to think that that's what sex is. I certainly wanted my children to have a much more positive. So when people say, oh, you don't like porn, you're sex negative. I'm like, uh, absolutely opposite. Right. I'm sex positive. Right. You're sex positive. You're abuse negative, right? Yeah. I'm abuse negative. (laughs) You have all the words. You have all the words. I mean, like making little notes. Thank you. (laughs) You have all the words. I really want to also make a point that something I see in my clinical practice, people think that porn addiction is a, is a male only problem. Females can also become addicted to porn. Teenage girls can become addicted And so assuming that, oh, I only have daughters. So, you know, that's not the case. First of all, we don't, like we said, we don't want them to have that negative association to sexuality. We want them to look forward to healthy adult sexuality, number one. But number two, your teenage daughter can become addicted to porn. It is possible. We don't, I think our culture thinks about male desire and not female desire, but that's not true. Absolutely. And we have several articles written by women who have become addicted to porn and written you know, articles for us about how to talk to your girls and and to not think that this is just a boy problem, but it is a girl problem more and more because what? The porn industry woke up one day and they said, what? We have been leaving 50% of the population out of the, out of the marketing mix. Let's, you know, why are we doing that? So uh, yeah, we're going for the women. And there is this concept of female-friendly porn, but I just wrote an article debunking that because it's still addicting. Girls will often start reading erotic literature. Right. And that's where it starts. And, but they often go and and they escalate because addiction is an escalative process. I don't know if that's a word, but anyway, that is what happens. So these girls start here. And this happens with all people that become addicted to porn. You start at the beginning, something fairly mild, potentially, but then where they end up is somewhere they're just shame. They did not see how they were going to get here, but they followed these fetishes. And, and so girls do get into actual porn, porn in video format, and they do get addicted to it. And it, it, it's even more shameful for her because everyone just expects that she wouldn't be interested but that girls are interested in sexual things that's a a myth we need we need to bust in our culture because boys are not the only ones that are interested in sex and also we have to remember with anything that people can use or abuse like food like exercise like porn any of those things what ends up happening is when someone desperately needs an off switch for their emotions and they discover an off switch even something that could be very healthy, like exercise, right? Anything, anything healthy can become an addiction. A friendship can become an addiction as long as it's functioning as an off switch. When it's functioning as one of the many, many, many interests, a girl wants to occasionally read a romance novel, fine. Mm-hmm. A, a girl occasionally wants to eat chocolate cake or go for a run, right? All of those things, great, fabulous. When they're just one of the many things that you like to do. But when you discover, I see this in my practice over and over again, when you discover that magical off switch that makes your emotions go away, especially your negative emotions, that's when you're at risk for addiction. So many kids can like play Candy Crush and not get addicted. Occasionally they'll take out their phone, they'll play a game and that's fine. And then there is that kid who's like, 
this thing shuts off my anxiety entirely. That's the birth of an addict. That moment when yep. it's like the off switch, immediately yep. birth of an addict. So it's not that if a kid, if your daughter's reading a romance novel, oh my gosh, she's starting down no. this path. It's, it's a spectrum. But when it's an off switch for something else, and that's why when you go in there way before it's a temptation and you're having these conversations, your kid's like, oh, I'm headed down the off switch mm-hmm. path. Not a good place yeah. to be. Absolutely. Right? And there's so much porn and it's free and it's so easy to get. And these kids are very good at finding it. if They want to. That's why I say we have to create a disposition. We have to create an internal filter so that they can filter things themselves and that they understand. And you can't give it to them by reading one book. I mean, good pictures, bad pictures, I think is a very comfortable way to begin these conversations. And if you look at the thousands of reviews on Amazon, you'll see that that is one of the main things that people say. It was just comfortable talking, beginning that conversation. But really to build this disposition, but you need to be able to have the information. So you have to educate yourself first so that you can educate your child. And we have a free downloadable guide called How to Talk to Kids About Pornography on our website. So I'd say go get that and get up to par with a lot of the statistics and some of these problems and some of these ways that you can take that step to talk to kids. And then um, if, if you think the book will help you, I hope that that will be a help. And, and just, I would invite people to subscribe to our newsletter because just drip, drip, drip. You can't, Get all of this information in one fell swoop. It's almost, it's overwhelming, right? It's overwhelming. But little by little, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Defend Young Minds, and we will just give you all of this, these strategies and helpful parenting tips for raising empowered and very resilient and screen smart kids in a challenging age. I have to say that word comfortable is so true. When I found Defend Young Minds and I said, I'm going to bring this to the post-traumatic parenting community, because again, I get it. We've had so many conversations in the post-traumatic parenting community, especially with the parents whose sexual trauma was their trauma. Sexual trauma was not my trauma. My trauma was losing my father at a young age. But I understand that trigger that this topic is scary. But the difference between you and any other educational product that I've seen out there is that it's so comfortable. You don't like assault people with things. You give it to them in this comfortable way so that they can get used to it, educate themselves, prepare themselves, get the book, get ready to say it with your kids. It's not like you're not going to be reading all this stuff and being like, oh no, I better do this today. You have time. You can read it. You can familiarize yourself. You can manage your triggers because I get it. We all get triggers around this topic and it's, it's, it's a scary topic. It's an uncomfortable topic. There's a yuck factor in this topic. There's that fear of educating them. But when you lay out the case the way you do so well and so gently and so comfortably, it really isn't as scary as it seems when I say like, let's talk to our kids about porn, right? That sounds yeah. scary, but it's really not. <laughs> it, it, it isn't because we, we go in a very science-based way and just lay it out. And kids, they understand. You set the context, especially when they're young. And it's just one more thing you're warning them about. And so they're not all freaked out. 
I remember this one story of this mom who said, yeah, I got your book, came in the mail from Amazon or whatever. And I just put it, I, I kind of flipped through it, but then I had to get dinner ready. I, I put it down on the coffee table and she said her six-year-old went by. He, he probably had a pretty good reading level. Let's just say that because it's, there are a lot of words in, in the one for older kids, right? Anyway, he read through the book and he came in to his mom. He said, that's a good book. So hopefully she went back and read it, read it with him. But the concepts are good for any age. I wrote the junior book that you have mentioned because so many parents came to me and said, do you have something for preschoolers, for younger kids? And just like, uh, no, but I'll write that, you know, (laughs) give me, give me a year and a half and we'll have that out for you. So. We're trying to help parents really raise their children from two or three to 13 so that they have this internal filter and they have this strength and they have these values that their parents are sharing with them and they've got it so that they can continue on and they don't have to be victimized by pornography. They can be empowered. They can resist. They I love can turn that away. mission. I just love that whole mission of doing that, especially because what I always tell parents about so many things, like let's say teaching our kids how to deal with bullies or anything, we're not going to be there. We're just not going to be there. You're not on the school bus when that older kids finds a smartphone with some pictures on it or brings a Playboy magazine to school. You're not going to be behind the gym. You're not going to be at sleepaway camp with them. You're just not going to be in those places. But that little guard dog that you install on it's their brain, voice. that will yeah. be there, right? Yeah. Because you, you can't physically be there because you'd be a helicopter parent on steroids if you came to sleepaway camp with your kid, right? You can't be there. You can't right. be on school bus. Like, that's just not normal. Right. But at the same token, because we all have that desire, like, I'll just stay with my kid all day. Yeah, I can't. They have to grow up and they have to separate and individuate, right? That would be its own whole host of problems. But what you can do is have your messages there and that guard dog installed in their brain for when you're not there. Absolutely. And it's really easier as as soon as you get started, it's, it gets easier. It gets easier. Just like with anything, get familiar. So, so again, get the guide, get the book, just look at them, take it baby steps, right? (laughs) Thank you so much for this. this. This interview was fantastic. I feel like Everybody in the post-traumatic parenting community now has this recipe for this is how I'm going to do this. If this was a scary topic to you, now you know where to get your resource and now you know what to do. This is such a useful resource, I think, for everybody in the community. Thank you so much. I hope so. That's really our main goal is to help parents give their kids these digital defense skills and uh, they'll thrive in the digital age. There's a lot of great stuff, right, out there. They'll thrive if they know the good and the bad, if they know what to go for and what to reject. Get, get rid of this clutter, the, the stuff that isn't going to help them. And I have great hope. I have great hope for kids that can do that. Right. I also want to make another point that probably is only relevant to post-traumatic parents who are focused only on digital that if you think that you have great filters and you've filtered everything digital that's coming through to your kid, keep in mind, there still is an analog world, right? Anybody can bring a magazine to school. 
anybody, like I said, with that yep. story with that 11 year old, her best friend double deered her to buy 50 shades of gray in Walmart. And I don't know why that Walmart clerk sold it to an 11 year old. I think it's illegal. I don't think it's allowed to be sold to an 11 year old. The Walmart clerk, I don't think even looked at what she was selling and bought it, walked out of Walmart with like, you know, that and some bubblegum, you know, without a problem yeah. in the world. So <laughs> even if you've like, yeah. even if you've like Bad. filtered all the digital things that are going through your kid's life, they're still analog. Yeah. And, and even if you filter everything that you can, even if you've got, even if you think everything in your home is locked down and nothing can get through, these kids are pretty smart and it's only a matter of time before they find ways and whether they get a burner phone, whether they get a, because the minute they walk out your door, they're going to be able to find it. and. Filters are great. We actually recommend one called Canopy because it uses artificial intelligence. They taught a computer, this is porn, <laughs> this is nudity, right. and it, it'll wipe it off the screen before your eyes can even like see it. Okay. So it's milliseconds. So it really does that. But again, even they will say, this isn't going to be enough because a filter isn't going to impact the heart and soul and mind of your child. That's your job. That's what you need to do. That's the soft skills that they need so that they can reject pornography, know why they are rejecting it, have good reasons and have a plan. We have in the book, we have the can do plan in the junior book. It's the turn, run, tell plan. And it's giving kids this power, but one of the last pages of the junior book is you got the power to protect and to defend your mind from this material. So I love making kids stronger and helping parents to do that. So definitely get your parental controls and your filters and all that good stuff. And we write articles about that, but the internal filter is going to go with them wherever they go. That's, yep, that's the really one, the best you have one. one prong of a multi-prong step, but when you have the internal filter, that's, that goes with them everywhere. I love that. Thank you so much for doing this. This was so helpful. Thank you. Well, I appreciate it. I'm here on social media to be descriptive, not prescriptive. I'm here to educate, inform, and hopefully entertain, but never to treat. If listening to this podcast helps you realize that you need therapy, I am all for that but podcasts aren't therapy. Please reach out to a mental health professional licensed in your jurisdiction. You'll be glad you did. Wish post-traumatic parenting was a talk show, not a podcast? Do you have a question for me or for my guests? Great news. You can ask those questions by following me on Instagram. My handle is at Dr. Kozlowitz Psychology. It's also in the show notes. I love it when people reach out, DM, or post a question. Who knows, your question might spark an entire episode. Come join our community. We get it. We're post-traumatic parents too. Can't wait to hear from you.